Welcome to History Here and Now. I'm Thomas, the voice inside your podcast machine, and today is a great day to learn about history. The History Here and Now podcast is dedicated to bringing you great stories from the past. Here we talk about people, places, events, culture, and practically every other facet involved with history. Does it sound complicated? Well, history is just that, complicated, but it doesn't have to be. I'm here to help break things down and make history more fun, so let's get started. Today we continue our series on history's worst battles. This episode will look at one of the worst defeats in British military history, the 1842 retreat from Kabul, also known as the Massacre of Elphinstone's Army. The British Army has seen its fair share of victories, but when they suffered defeats, they went down swinging before being crushed by their enemies. The 19th century witnessed exponential expansion of the British Empire for both economic and geopolitical purposes, and nowhere did this play out more than in the vast expanse of Central Asia. The great game between Great Britain and Russia was fought in the deserts of Southwest Asia, and the Afghan people were caught in the middle. Cracks in the perceived invincibility of the British Army began to show, however, and in 1842, the 44th Regiment of Foot and thousands of camp followers were forced from Kabul, Afghanistan, marched over 90 miles to Jalalabad, but never reached their destination. During the march, they were harassed by Afghan guerrillas and lost many to the harsh landscape and weather, and by the march's end, the tattered remnants of the column were slaughtered and its haunting legacy burned into the minds of the British public. This came to be known as the Massacre of Elphinstone's Army. Now, the disaster was the culmination of several poor decisions, incompetence, and arrogance on a monumental scale. But first, let's give a little background on, to the incident. Now, by the mid-18th century, the extension of British control over India combined with the relentless advance of the Russian Empire into Asia meant that Afghanistan was quickly becoming a buffer state between the two rival empires. Since the fall of Napoleon in 1815, Russia had replaced France as the essential antagonist for the British, and there was a pretty disproportionate fear that Russian influence over Afghanistan would eventually threaten British India. Between the two giants, mishandling diplomacy was a curse that led to the nations to dispatch their armies in the field. Now, following a succession dispute to the Emirate of Afghanistan in 1838, Lord Auckland, the British Governor General of India, he engineered an excuse to invade Afghanistan to depose of Emir Dost Mohammed, replacing him with an unpopular leader, Shah Shuja. The Scottish explorer Alexander Burns advised against this, having spent time amongst the Afghan natives, and he knew that the Shah was not well-liked amongst the people. In July of 1839, an army of over 20,000 British and Indian troops invaded the country, silently defeating an Afghan army at the Battle of Ganzi, and installed the Shah, forcing Dost Muhammad into exile. On August 6, 1839, Kabul was captured without a fight, and so the first Anglo-Afghan War had begun. However, there was some thought, though, that the war was over as soon as it had begun. Nearly 21,000 British and Indian troops had entered Afghanistan, and following Dost Muhammad's expulsion, the occupation force was reduced significantly to just over 8,000 troops. British officials in India were really pretty much unwilling to pay the enormous costs that were inherent in running an occupation army and administration, so they began rotating more troops back to India. 
Now, the remaining garrisons were quickly spread out across the region, but as soon as the British occupation had begun, resentment was growing amongst the native population. In November of 1841, there was a riot that broke out in Kabul, and Sir Alexander Burns, who was originally against the invasion, was executed by the mob. The garrison commander, General William Elphinstone, chose not to respond to this incident, and the action had then emboldened the Afghans. And from out of the Hindu Kush mountains came the Afghani salvation, the son of Dost Muhammad, Akbar Khan. In December of 1841, Sir William McNaughton, head of the British delegation for peace negotiations, he was trying desperately to defuse tensions between the British and the Afghans. On December 23rd, he was lured by Akbar Khan to discuss peace terms, but was apprehended and executed. Desperate and failure to secure any relief from India, General Elphinstone had then brokered a deal with Akbar Khan. The British garrison of 4,500 would depart Kabul for Jalalabad with over 12,000 camp followers, many of whom were the soldiers' families. The Khan had promised them safe passage through the Hindu Kush mountains, and even promising them food and other rations to make it through the mountain passes. Yet from the moment they left their quarters in January of 1842, the British column was fired upon and any remaining sick and wounded British personnel in Kabul were executed. The conditions on the march was atrocious. The freezing cold temperatures immediately began to take their toll as they had uh, departed into the mountains at the height of winter. Thousands died from exposure, frostbite, starvation, and exhaustion. According to the account of a British assistant surgeon uh, who was traveling with them, Dr. William Bryden, he stated, quote, Though the first day's march was not more than five miles, a great number of women and children perished in the snow, which was about six inches deep, end quote. The next day, Akbar Khan had arrived, claiming that he was there to protect the calm against further attacks. He did this by extorting money and getting further concessions and hostages. He forced the, he forced the calm to camp early, and by this time, though, uh, many were then beginning to question whether Akbar Khan was actually trying to uh, get them to their destination. By the next morning, most of the soldiers were too cold to fight, yet as they made their way through the Kur de Kapil Pass, a series of attacks by, uh, by Gilzali tribesmen were commencing from the heights all around. Skirmishes were small, frequent, and a large number of terrified camp followers amplified the overall confusion. The British 44th Regiment of Foot were fighting rearguard actions constantly as the calm painfully entered the pass but they would eventually ensure over 3,000 casualties, leaving many of them behind. Akbar Khan would appear again and again demanding more hostages. Ironically, to be taken hostage was kind of the best outcome. Akbar Khan would treat the hostages with great courtesy and eventually would return many of them after the conclusion of the Calm's march. It became clear to Elphinstone the remaining troops that Akbar had not been negotiating their safe passage, but the entire endeavor was a ruse in order to lay ambush after ambush against the slow-moving column. After about another week of the, during some of the most worst weather conditions, the cold climate, and the continual harassment from local tribesmen, on January 11, 1842, Akbar Khan returned again, demanding hostages and fighting himself would continue to rage on. 
the retreat was now reaching a terrible climax. Dr. Bryden also recalled later, about an hour after dark, an order was given to march, owing, I believe, to a note being received from General Elphinstone telling us to push on at all hazards, as treachery was suspected. Owing to this unexpected move on our part, we found the abatis and other impediments which had been thrown across the Jadalic Pass, undefended by the enemy, who nevertheless pressed upon our rear to cut up great numbers. The confusion now was terrible, and all discipline was at an end, end quote. And through it all, if people weren't dying of exposure, starvation, or guerrilla attacks, many would have decided to just abandon the march altogether and return, try to return to Kabul. But none of them would ever make it back alive. An account published later in the spring of 1842 in the North American Review was even more graphic of the plight of the column, saying, quote, The troops kept on and awful scenes ensued without food, mangled and cut to pieces, each one carrying only for himself. All subordination had fled and the soldiers of the 44th English Regiment are reported to have knocked down the officers with the butt of their muskets, end quote. I mean, this is already a pretty galling, gruesome picture of what only been imagined had been happening up in those mountains. The British had managed to knock a hole through a large thrown atavis, which is kind of like a barricade, with one of their last remaining guns, allowing some of the soldiers able to press through. A group of six officers on horseback would broke out and quickly headed towards Jalalabad, while the 44th Regiment prepared to make a last stand on a hill, hill near the village of Gandamak. On the morning of January 12th, about 45 soldiers and 20 officers, exhausted of all of their food, ammunition, eventually found themselves surrounded by more tribesmen. They approached feigning friendship and offered them a chance to surrender. And according to legend, one sergeant would stand up and he shouted at them, not bloody likely. By that moment, everyone was cut down. Captain Thomas Soter himself in the 44th Regiment wrapped himself in the 44th Regimental colors, and the dead were stripped of whatever value they had left, which by this point was really not much. Out of the six officers who broke out, only one made it all the way to Jalalabad, who was Dr. Bryden. The receiving British garrison was shocked to see a single ragged man approaching on an exhausted horse. When he had made it into the garrison and they had asked him what happened, where the army was, he simply replied, I am the army. And the legacy of the retreat from Kabul permeated British military history for generations. General Elphinstone's conduct and leadership is routinely cited as being inept and indecisive and a prime example of what happens when officers fail to act. And historians also still debate Akbar Khan's motivations behind the massacre. Arguments over whether he sanctioned the ambushes or simply ignored attacks by Afghan tribes still exist. A punitive expedition in 1842, commanded by General George Pollock, attacked Kabul in the spring, meaning to exact retribution for the massacre. This campaign would also ultimately fail to secure the installation of the preferred emir of, Af of Afghanistan, and the British would ultimately abandon their goals in Afghanistan altogether and focus solely on India. 
and the massacre of Elphinstone's army would remain the British army's worst defeat in terms of casualties and conditions until the Battle of the Somme in World War I and then again in the Battle of Dunkirk in World War II. As late as 2010, bones of the dead could still be found on the mountains outside Gandamak where the 44th Regiment made their final stand. An enduring legacy to one final one final act of defiance by the British Army. Now I'd like to make a quick note on the content of today's episode. Um, this episode was inspired by one book that I had read um, last year called The Legacy of Ashes by the aforementioned historian Tim Weiner. Um, it is uh, one of the first detailed histories on the uh, role and crea- creation and the function of the Central Intelligence Agency, covering everything from its initial creation after World War II through the Cold War and including the War on Terror. If you're interested in learning more about CIA history, this is a great book to have on your bookshelf. Called again, The Legacy of Ashes. Now, I really hope you enjoyed that story. History Here and Now is a website dedicated to the research and writing about different historical topics. If you like this podcast, hit the like button, share it on social media, recommend it to your friends, families, colleagues, and anyone you think would enjoy hearing a good history discussion. You can follow History Here and Now on Twitter and check back periodically for the next episode. Until then... Good luck, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.